Well, as I mentioned in our uh, prayer time, I'm excited to have the opportunity for you all to hear from uh, Gary Purdy. Uh, he and I have gotten to know each other uh, better and better over the last uh, couple of years as he's been here in town and now, as I shared, launching a, a church planting work. I hope he'll share a little bit more about that and, of course, part of our overall church planting network that we're connected with. Part of your generous contributions to our church go to, to help support that network, to help support our presbytery and some of those church planting works. So, uh, Gary, we're excited to have you come on up here and I'd love to hear a little bit about your family as well and just looking forward to hearing God's word from you. So thanks for taking time to be with us today. Welcome. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here. I could not quite coax my wife and college-aged daughter out of bed this morning to come join me. The idea of being supportive uh, wife and daughter just didn't quite resonate deeply with them. Um, but uh, I, we are about planting a, a church in the downtown footprint focused largely on the Parkside area right near UAB. Uh, also, the entrepreneurship district, like where Innovation Depot is, as well as the arts district, Alabama Theater, uh, as well. So, how you can pray for us is that God would grow our uh, launch group. We're getting close to launching public worship, uh, but that we would grow in a way that represents the city well, uh, the different social dynamics, cultural dynamics in the city. We're experiencing slow growth. Uh, but we long for more. If you know of someone whose life particularly revolves around that part of the city, they might work downtown, uh, they might uh, do all the exercises class at Railroad Park, uh, they might socialize downtown, they may be into theater, anything that they would identify with kind of a primary traction, point of contribution, involvement in the city, uh, in the downtown footprint. We would love to help them connect, especially if they're not connected currently to a local church. Um, So you could help us with that. You could bring someone. We gather on Sunday nights. Uh, We're meeting in the Forge workspace, which is on the second floor of the Pazitz, the food hall. You can see it from there, but you've got to come through the residences to actually get up there. And then we're hoping for more of a long-term, more easily accessible uh, worship site once we go Public, which will, should be soon, as soon as we have that space secured. Um, another thing that we're doing uh, in a couple months in February is in downtown at Railroad Park Ash Wednesday service uh, at the lunchtime hour. Uh, so it'd be a time if you happen to work in that vicinity, uh, you could bring along co-workers, and we're going to have a very simple service to mark the beginning of Lent as we launch this church. We want to launch in a posture of repenting for the way we in the church sometimes have not loved the city well and express our longing to grow in our love and service of the city. Um, so if any of those connect for you, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that you know about the Ash Wednesday details. But I uh, would love for you to help connect people with us on Sunday nights if you know someone where that Ash Wednesday service, which is on Valentine's Day, February 14th, And if you would just pray, too, and uh, people connect, we would be grateful for that. Okay? Let me pray as I come to God's Word right now. Father, I thank you for this church and its impact in the Hoover area. Thank you that this church is birthed, has been birthed, and is growing healthy, um, is sharing space with another church in this area, each with their... 
different places of influence in the city, we ask that they would both flourish and grow, that your kingdom would come more fully uh, to the Hoover area as a result of um, these two churches being present. Pray that as we come to your scripture today at the end of a holiday season, uh, we would you would enable us to step in once again to the wonder of Jesus' first advent as we look back and that it would fuel hope and enduring wonder for his second advent for which we wait. Would you do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've lived in Birmingham for three years, and just this past week, got an Alabama driver's license. If you've ever been to Shelby County DMV, you understand why. I spent two days this week at the DMV. After the second day, I felt like by the time I got out of there, I'd served a lifetime sentence. I mean, no one likes to wait. Even the most patient of us, if you're on I-65 or 280, will be pressed. Waiting stinks. Um, when I was a kid, I can remember the day after Christmas and after having so much fun with all my presents that I was given somewhere along the day, the day, the day after Christmas, because I'm a melancholy, it showed up even then. I thought, oh, this is the longest point at which I've got to wait for Christmas to happen again next year. And it just seemed like forever. Whatever tries your waiting endurance... Uh, waiting on deep longings is worse than waiting for traffic and long lines and getting licenses or toys. Uh, some of the things I've waited for in my life journey, uh, when my family moved from Nashville to Dallas, I waited a really long time for a friend. It was middle school. Anybody want to redo that era of your life? And I ate alone at a table almost all year long just lacked the courage and waited, just waiting for a friend. Uh, Once I found a friend, then I was waiting for someone to like me, like of the opposite sex like me. And uh, it seemed like that was an unendurable wait. Uh, When I got to college and just out of college, I was longing and waiting for someone to marry. Like if you'd asked me at age 25, you know, how long have you been single? I was said, boy, it's been forever. You know, because when you're 25, that, you know, those three years after college felt like forever. Uh, but I got married at 26. I look back now, that was nothing. But then when we got married, uh, God denied us uh, the desire to have children biologically. And so we waited, wrestling with infertility, for five years. Once we got that child, we waited on him to sleep through the night. (laughs) And you young mothers know what it's like to wait and wait for your children to be able to take care of themselves. Uh, We wait for jobs that will suit our gifts. I one time waited 10 months without a job that would suit my gifts uh, and provide for my family. Uh, We wait for things in our children as they grow to soften and mature in them. And sometimes the wait feels like forever. And we wait for God's healing uh, from woundedness. 
painful memories, damaging sin, and ongoing addictions. You with me in the wait? Nobody likes to wait. What's the antidote for the waiting? Not the healthy kind, but the kind that produces impatience, demandingness, cynicism. God, come on in you. The antidote for that kind of waiting is wonder. It's wonder. Uh, The passage that we'll explore this morning unpacks for us, and we'll just read portions of it as we go along, to see how the wonder is the antidote for our waiting. In, In the first section, you can see there in your notes, it's wonder in Christ's light. For the nations. Let's pick up reading uh, in verse 22. And the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. And they're speaking of Joseph and Mary. Uh, Right before this, we see um, Jesus is circumcised at the eighth day and given the name God saves, Jesus. Uh, And then now it's time for Mary's purification. Why? Because after having a child, she was considered unclean. And she couldn't be around holy things. So they make the journey to the temple. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's right off the heels of the Passover where God delivered a firstborn son and God called Israel uh, to bring all of their first son, firstborn sons as ho- a, holy, a holy presentation to God. They would pay a ransom price to let their children come back and live with them. But do you remember the story in the book of Samuel when Hannah comes along and she's been waiting for a child and she promises that he would be holy to the Lord? She doesn't pay a ransom price. And give Samuel, her firstborn son, to serve there at the temple. That's the very thing that Joseph and Mary are doing. A twofold purpose. Mary's coming to be purified from her uncleanness. And they're coming to present their firstborn son as holy and dedicated to the Lord. Interestingly, there's no record of them paying a ransom price either. Look at verse 24. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The pigeons was the provision for those from the poverty culture. That's the sacrifice that Mary brings to to pay and sacrifice for her cleanness. So, So we see Mary has waited nine months in confusion. Having the angel of the Lord, but having people whispering and causing her to doubt. Uh, Mary has waited now 40 days uh, to be clean because she's been marked as unclean. And so now she and Joseph bring their baby, offering their firstborn son after Mary's very long wait. And then we encounter another man who's been waiting a really long time. Look at verse 25, 27. No, 25, I'm right. Uh, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the, get this, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This is an incredibly unusual man. God's Spirit did not rest upon everyone who were believers of the promise. But God uniquely resided in the form of His Spirit upon this man. And He revealed to him He would not die before He saw the promised Messiah, the hope of Israel. Uh, This is continuing the echo of Isaiah 40 that was the prophet Isaiah calling out, Comfort, comfort my people. And there would be a voice raised up in the wilderness who is John the Baptist who would prepare for the way of the Lord. And then the mighty one, the promised one, the promised king would come. You see, Simeon's life narrative oriented around that larger hope and that larger story. And so he's primed and ready for God to let him to step in to the wonder. Look at what happens. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Again, Simeon's got the larger narrative, the whole story of God and the promise of God. So resonating in his mind and his heart and his life that now he realizes the significance of seeing the promised one as a baby. And and as we see in the midst of his waiting, uh, the promise in his blessing, there are things for us to enter into wonder over that picture the reality of Jesus' wonder. It's in 27 through 31. The first one is this. A light uh, in 31 that you have prepared for the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He's picturing uh, Jesus coming, meaning uh, people from all walks of life, not just within the house of Israel, get embodied for them the promise of God. Truth gets a form. Truth gets lived out. Truth is no longer just uh, posited in the law or in the prophets but in a person, a revelation, not just for the house of Israel, but for all kinds of people. Jesus is the embodiment of that truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story. So light for the uh, for revelation to the Gentiles. And the second thing, 32a, and for glory to your people, Israel. He's saying glory means weightiness, significance, uh, flourishing. Wholeness. He's saying the, the very thing that Israel has longed to be, they become, can become when Jesus comes. Jesus coming, the Messiah, means the people of God can be restored from their fallenness and the fallenness of others to be whole again. So it's global, and then it's all of Israel, and then you wish the blessing had stopped. 
<laughs> because Joseph and Mary are marveling. Look at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about them, about him. It, it, it would have been nice to just stop there. That sounds great. But here, here enters the conflict. And sending and blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus' light, and that brings wonder, he is the revelation, the embodiment of God's God's story. Uh, he is the glory. He brings the fullness and the wholeness back. But he also brings exposure. That, that last phrase, so that the thoughts from many hearts, that, that means the inner dialogue that we have about the person of Jesus and his promise. Uh, he exposes each person's inner dialogue about who he is. And as you continue along the gospel story, you see all kinds of different responses to who Jesus is. Some people's internal dialogue says, no, he cannot be the Christ. Others' internal dialogue, normally of people that don't have life altogether, bow and say, oh, in you and you alone is the story of God fulfilled and in whom we find life. You see, when waiting feels like forever... You are always the central character in your narrative. Are you not? You're most concerned about you. But wonder comes from being caught up in a story that's larger than yourself. It's like the most extreme, best way to get over yourself. Wouldn't you like that? It's the wonder in something greater. I mean, we know it with our sports teams. We identify with them, and so we are outside of ourselves. We know it with our favorite author, our favorite artist. When we enter into their works, we enter into something greater than ourselves. Uh, Our favorite Netflix series, it, it leads us to wonder. It gets us out of ourselves. God's story... The fulfillment in Jesus is the ultimate wonder that's the antidote to our feels-like-forever waiting. Here's here's a diagnostic to kind of process this this through. It's New Year's. You're up for a diagnostic. You might want to scratch these down, write these down. Um, Think of one one big question and then three prompts. What's the deep longing for you, which you're, you're fixated on right now? What's the deep longing that you have that it seems as though God has denied? Got it? What is the deep longing that it seems that God has denied? Now, let's, do, let's, let's flip them and let's do an exposure question. What does my inner dialogue reveal about how I view Jesus in light of that thing? What does my inner dialogue reveal about how I view Jesus in light of that unmet desire? Here's the glory question. How might wonder in Jesus restore my fallenness to glory? 
How might wonder in Jesus restore my fallenness to glory? And then the revelation question. What about Jesus do I need to wonder in to get over myself? What about Jesus do I need to wonder in to get over myself? Let me flesh it. I'll just put myself out there. Uh, over this week, I've been home alone, and for me, it's like not a funny movie. I really have high companionship needs. So I don't like to be home alone. At worst, I'm doing house projects to get our house to sell. I'm the world's worst handyman. So I've like got increasingly down and depressed the whole week. What a great off week. Um, one of the things that's bumping through my head is I've got a deep longing to plant a church that crosses cultural bridges in the city and loves and serves the city well, but I have this scary thought of, what if it fails? What am I doing with two college-aged children planting a church? What if it fails? There, there are other things that kind of have make, made me spiral a little bit this week, but that's probably been the heaviest. What if it fails? That's my deep longing here. What does that inner dialogue reveal about how I view Jesus? It's like, Jesus, you might let me fail. And if you let me fail, how could you really be good? Because I'll feel ashamed. I'll be embarrassed. I've raised all this money. Could you really be good and let me fail? Glory. How might wonder in Jesus restore my fallenness to glory? Um, if I was really dialed into his larger story, without myself as the central narrative, I could experience rest even in the midst of lots of uncertainty and slowness and progress. Uh, what about Jesus do I need to wander in to get over myself? I need to remember that whether this church plant fails or thrives, Jesus is making all things new. He will. One day all things will be new. So the pressure's off. If you would, this afternoon or sometime, wherever you take reflective time, uh, give yourself that diagnostic. What's the thing I'm longing for most that feels denied? Uh, what does it expose? What would glory look like if you lived it out? And what's the truth about Jesus that you need to remember? Make a little bit of sense. Nod and make me feel good. Okay. Even if it's no, I'll feel better. Well, the second thing is a shorter story. It's wonder in Christ's redemption of the city. It's, I love the difference between Simeon and Anna uh, because it, they are like, they're like my wife and I. I'm like big picture, whole world, uh, whole country. Uh, Anna's like right here, this city. <laughs> uh, let's get down to practical. So let's, let's look at her story. Verse 36. Uh, it's a wonder in Christ's redemption of the city. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, uh, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Thank you for that bit of information. And it was then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, had she been waiting for a long time? long time. She'd only been married for seven years. She'd been 
widowed a lot longer. She had, now, we don't all share in that same state. But it, I, when you're not a good preacher, you have to make up words. So here's my made up word. Uh, she dealt with withoutness. God was redeeming in her, her withoutness, in her case, with being without a husband for years and years and years. And we still find her not wallowing in bitterness and demandingness and cynicism, but adoration and worship and being caught up in a larger story. The hope of God's story stepped into her withoutness, just as it does with ours. And then look at verse 38. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him who, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, I'm not a good preacher, so I make up words. We've got withoutness. Uh, God redeems the whereness. The withoutness and the whereness. The city of Jerusalem, right here where she lived. Right in the tangible places, uh, God brings his hope in our withoutness and the very spaces he calls us to live. She's not just focused. It means something different. She's not just focused on the hope for all nations and the hope for the nation. Her hope that she gives thanks for the city of God is going to get renewed. People's withoutness is going to be filled with glory, even in the wait, so that in very tangible, practical ways, this Messiah's reign would break into every facet of life in our city. You see, wonder comes from seeing yourself in a larger story with others. Her immediate response was go tell everyone because she viewed them as included in the wonder of the story. She could not keep quiet because of the wonder of the story was so real in her. Uh, there's a film out right now in theaters. Yes, we went on Christmas Day. Um, <laughs> uh, you've been there? Were you with me? Christmas, uh, Christmas Day. Wonder. It's called Wonder. Julia Robertson is in it. Owen Wilson is in it. It's about a little boy named Augie uh, who's fifth grade and moves into a, a school setting after having been homeschooled because he had 27 surgeries to fix his radically misshapen face. Uh, I know a little girl like this, Coach Rick, who coaches uh, Miami now, has a daughter who had the same condition. And he, his parents take him. Uh, to school, knowing what he likely will experience. And quite predictably, he is shunned, stared at, and sits alone at the lunch table. What's interesting about the story is, is I so identify with him from my alone at the lunch table season of life. What he learned and what I learned in those moments is self-loathing. Because you begin to hate yourself for the things that repel people from you. And you just long so deeply for acceptance that you grow bitter because God doesn't seem to come through and answers and leaves you all alone. It's where the plot twist in the story, in the film, is when it doesn't just focus on Augie. His problems would have been enough and it would be real easy for him to stay the central narrative in his story. 
He, in fact, had become the central narrative in his family story. And it began to show the impact on his sister, Via, And how the whole world and family revolving around him uh, left her out and some of her deep longings not met. And then it shifts to her best friend who betrays her. But then you see her story and drama that explains the betrayal. And then Jack finally finds a friend. Uh, uh, Augie finally finds a friend named Jack who betrays him. And then you see his story of poverty that helps explain why their uh, relationship fizzled. At the end of the movie, I won't completely give it away, <laughs> uh, but relationships are restored. And one of the characters remarks about Augie, he is a wonder. He is a wonder. You see, God's glory in us creates an element of wonder and weightiness in us all. But none of us are adequate to be the central narrative figure. The one who possesses true wonder is this one who has come, God in flesh, embodying for us truth in 3D, in real live form, so that we can see and be captured by his larger story. The larger story of Scripture that extends even past Jesus' first advent really begins in the opening pages of Genesis. One way I like to picture it, you may have heard this before, God's story begins with creation, where God created everything for glory. But real quickly, something cataclysmic happens. The fall and mankind falls and all of creation falls from that glory. Uh, but Jesus comes in the opening of the New Testament, as we're seeing here, to redeem us back to the glory for which we are created. And one day, he will completely restore not only us, but all of creation back to the glory for which we are made. Get this. Your job needs to be fueled by that narrative. Your involvement in school needs to be colored by that ongoing narrative. Your life in your neighborhood needs to be informed by creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Here's my experience. When I live that story out with others, whether they're Christ followers or not, uh, because they all are image bearers, they resonate deeply with great vision for our neighborhood, our school, our company. And then you can enter into, as you share your own fallenness, theirs. But then when you picture redemption, it's so much more vivid. And we live with a hope that this is not all that there is, that one day everything will be made whole and you. Jesus is making all things new. That's the story that captures our wonder. Jesus' larger story of light and redemption bring us from waiting to wonder. Jesus waited. He didn't have to wait until he entered into time and space. But can you imagine all those years he, he waited on being cared for when he was the God of the universe, but in the confines of a baby and an infant and under the authority of his parents. Can you imagine as a young adult waiting, knowing who you were until you were 30? To go public with who you were? 
Can you imagine him waiting for over three years for people to get it? As many denied and the religious establishment countered him and unlikely people responded. And can you see him waiting in the garden, just begging God to let this cup of his wrath pass on from him? And can you imagine him waiting in the grave under the darkness of death until God would resurrect him? When you see Jesus' story, it leads you to wonder. And the wonder transforms our waiting. Let me pray that that would happen for us. Jesus, we stand not looking for your first coming, but waiting for your second. Would you remind us this morning that just as sure of your first coming, just as real as that was, so will your second coming be. Uh, Would you fill us uh, with Simeon and Anna kind of wonder uh, over the Christ child that has come and the Christ King who is reigning and will return to make all things due. Uh, Lead us to the wonder in our waiting over who Christ is. Restore glory in us as you expose in us uh, the rival Jesuses. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're much better Savior, Rescuer, uh, Restorer to glory from our shame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.